0: This episode of the Singletracks podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people, like you, get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com slash singletracks to support the show and to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Greg and I are going to be sharing tips for winter mountain biking on the cheap. Mountain biking during the winter doesn't require a lot of specialized equipment though that stuff does exist if you want it. The good news is you probably own all the gear you need and the things you don't have aren't as expensive as you might think.
1: We're going to give a bunch of different recommendations for all kinds of uh, products and apparel that you can use in this podcast, but just note that some of these might apply to you and where you live. Others might be overkill or underkill, so just use common sense for that Um, because we're trying to talk to riders that span you know the entire hemisphere, entire globe, really. So whether you're um, doing winter in Georgia or winter in Alaska, hopefully we'll have a few tips that you can uh, pull on from
0: this podcast. Right on. So let's start off with clothing and starting with the shoes, actually. So a lot of mountain bike shoes are designed to be really well ventilated. Uh, so they'll have like mesh panels and things like that, that help in the summertime to keep your feet cool. And they also help You know, if you get water in them, like through creek crossings, they drain out really well. But in the winter, that becomes sort of a disadvantage uh, because you're letting cold air into the shoes and you'll realize really quickly that they don't work very well in the wintertime. So one of the things I've seen people do is they just put duct tape over the mesh panels on their shoes for winter riding. It's a really good temporary thing to do. You just slap the duct tape on there and then You know, Once temperatures start to rise again, you can take them off and just peel the duct tape right off. Do you have any other tips for keeping your shoes warm in the winter, Greg?
1: Yeah, one thing that's pretty easy to do is to just double up on socks or wear thicker socks if you can fit them in your shoes. A lot of riding shoes have quite a bit extra room and get more sock in there, that's going to keep your feet warmer. Another thing you can do with your existing shoes is to put plastic bags in there to help keep out the cold and the wet. Uh, I actually saw one video recently where somebody recommended two pairs of socks and putting a plastic bag between each pair of socks to keep it in place. And I was like, Hmm. boom, genius. (laughs) Another one that I saw that like I hadn't thought of before and I was like, all right, that's ingenious is to put aluminum foil in your shoes below the insoles to reflect the feet back up at your feet and you know it's free you have it in your kitchen but it's ingenious because that's basically what mountain bike companies and shoe companies do to create uh, insulated insoles is basically they put foil in your insole already and you can just do that yourself i was like why have i not thought of that before
0: yeah that's really smart
1: there's a few things you can do without buying any special shoes so which is nice
0: Yeah. And with the foil trick, note that there are two sides to foil. I don't know if everybody knows this, but, you know, there's a shiny side and a dull side. So you want the shiny side pointing toward your foot because that's the side that's actually going to reflect the heat better. So another thing you can do, too, a lot of people will already have, you know, maybe your cycling shoes are more to more sort of all season shoes or, you know, maybe they're just summer shoes but you own a pair of hiking boots or insulated shoes or heck even rain boots or duck boots or something like that, that works well in uh, cold and wet conditions, consider f- swapping out your pedals, you know, put flat pedals on your bike for the winter time and then just roll with whatever the warmest shoes are that you own. And you can actually get a lot of riding out of that without having to buy special shoes. The other thing, you know, if you do have plenty of money to blow and you're looking for a warm solution. There are obviously shoe covers for your shoes that you can buy. These are usually made out of neoprene and they do a good job of keeping your feet warm and dry for the most part.
1: When you're talking about pedals, let's just jump in on the pedals a little bit. One way to help keep your feet warmer is to use uh, plastic flat pedals versus uh, metal pedals or versus clipless pedals. So I've talked to a lot of folks that use plastic flat pedals on purpose because it doesn't transmit as much cold temperature to their feet. And they claim that having an SPD cleat connected to the pedal and then going into the sole of the shoe trans is basically like a heat sink and pulls heat like away from your feet. I haven't seen a science to back that up, but it seems plausible. So going with the plastic flat pedals over the metal ones or over the SPDs. Another great way to save
2: some warmth.
0: Yeah. And even if you're not like a regular flat pedal rider, and you don't already own, you know, some sweet flat pedals and sweet flat shoes to go with it, um, you know, you can find these at Walmart. They got $10 plastic pedals there. You know, if you're just going to be using it for a month or two out of the season, uh, that's definitely a cheap way to go. And you're not going to feel bad if you bash your pedals against some, you know, rocks or trees or whatever that are hidden underneath the snow. So good tip all around. What about repurposing some of your other gear? A lot of people already own uh, stuff for ski season or, you know, other outdoor winter activities. So how, how would you go about that, Greg?
1: When we start talking about like layers, you know, your upper body, your legs, all these things, like look at the stuff you already own and see what can be really useful on the bike. A good tip is if you like live in the mountains and you already do a lot of alpine touring, which could be backcountry skiing, splitboarding, something like that. AT jackets and pants are generally designed to breathe really well and feature a much slimmer cut than standard ski gear, um, like a standard downhill ski or snowboard jacket's going to be really bulky but alpine touring gear not so much so if you have that stuff that's a great place to start to put together a really cold weather fat biking kit another thing to do is to you can use your base layers from pretty much any sport for um, fat biking and winter biking i use the same base layers pretty much across all my sports so you can easily save some money there
0: Yeah. And don't think that you need, you know, special biking pants if you don't already own that, especially if you're only going to be, you know, doing a few rides during the winter season. Plenty of people wear their jeans or their, you know, work pants, their dickies out on the trail. And, you know, aside from maybe feeling a little embarrassed, you shouldn't, they actually work pretty well in most cases. The only thing you're going to want to remember is that uh, you need to secure the pant cuffs on the pants so that they're not getting sucked into your chain. And one way you can do that pretty easily, you know, other than just kind of rolling them up is uh, you can get like a Velcro strap uh, from REI sells them. You can get them a lot of places, just a general purpose Velcro strap. And you can use that to cinch up the cuffs on your pants and ride away and be warm at the same time.
1: One key tip though, when it comes to layering, especially in the cold weather is, uh, that cotton kills and we say cotton kills because cotton absorbs moisture and it doesn't uh, wick it away. It doesn't dry very well and it doesn't have any insulating properties once it's wet. Whereas other things like polyester will still retain some, some insulation properties even while wet. So, you know, while you could do jeans, it's not super recommended to wear something that's just cotton. So, um, Bear that in mind. And it becomes a bigger issue the further you go from the trailhead and you know the more intense you get into it. If you're just going for like a two-mile loop in the in the park, not such a big deal.
0: Yeah, and definitely makes a difference. Yeah, never go out, you know, if it's wet conditions, snow or rain or anything else like that, uh, if you're wearing cotton. That's a great tip. Okay, moving on to the upper body. We've talked about this on many episodes and I think we've touched on it here, but layering is key. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that you don't actually need as much clothing as you might think once you're on the bike. You know, a lot of times you'll be sitting in your house and anticipating going out in the cold and you keep putting on like more and more stuff. And really, if you're doing it right, you should walk out the door and feel a little bit chilly because once you get going, you're gonna feel a lot warmer. And one of the ways to you know, sort of deal with this is to dress in layers. So make sure you have layers that you can take off easily if you get too hot, and then vice versa, if you get cold, you wanna be able to pile those layers back on.
1: Yeah, I generally use a base layer and some sort of windproof shell when I'm out fat biking in Colorado. And usually that's plenty of warmth. And sometimes if it's really cold, I'll add a down puffy, but that can usually get really hot quickly. Again, like Jeff said, you don't need a whole heck of a lot. One thing that you can do to save some cash is if you carry a rain jacket in the summer for riding, which you probably should, uh, you can use that as your windbreaker or your outer shell uh, in the middle of the winter. Maybe you add one more base layer for a little bit of warmth, but usually a rain jacket does a great job of cutting the wind, and I use that pretty frequently. Uh, one tip I'd throw in for the upper body is to pack an extra layer for the descent. So if you're just cruising around on a mostly flat rolling ground, might not be such a big deal, but if you're say climbing up a mountain pass and then turning around to come back down, you're going to be really warm while going up that pass. And then you're going to be really cold really quickly when you turn around to coast back down. So make sure you're prepared for that. Basically. Um, it's a pretty rapid change of, uh, uh, temperatures. Along those same lines, when you're climbing, you want to make sure that you're not sweating. So if you're sweating, you're dressed too warmly, and you could be risking hypothermia when it comes time to descend back down the mountain, or if the temperatures drop. Uh, because again, you've soaked through all those layers of clothing, and then if the air hits that, that can really chill your core. So generally If you start, you're too hot, you start sweating, you should shed your layers until you aren't sweating anymore as you go up the hill. So it's nice to have a bunch of different things that you can pull on and off pretty easily without too much trouble to like achieve the perfect temperature while you're out there.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I find works really well, and I don't even know why, and I couldn't tell you what situations it works better than others, but I'm a big fan of vests. Using those as, as a part of my layering. So sometimes, you know, I want my core warm, but, you know, my arms are sweating um, and vice versa. So, if, you know, in the flip side, sometimes you're, you're going to want some protection on your arms because they're colder than the rest of your body. So uh, what you can do is you could actually take a sweatshirt or something and cut the sleeves off. So you've got a nice sort of vest style layer and then. If you're really creative, you could use those sleeves that you just cut off as arm warmers from time to time. So throw those in your pack and whip them out whenever you need them. All right. What about gloves? Extremities seem to be a real problem uh, for a lot of people. A lot of people try winter biking and um, they decide it's it's just not for them either because they got cold feet or cold hands. At least that's been my experience. What are some tips for keeping your hands warm while mountain biking the winter?
1: Uh, again, if you're into skiing, if you have like a really thick ski mitten, that's not going to be great. But if you do have like a lighter weight, slimmer cut ski glove, um, lots of times these are used for um spring skiing or like a race glove generally has a much tighter cut. You can easily use that on a bicycle. So that's a cheap way to go if you already own a similar glove. But the trick is you have to have a glove that's not so big that you still can't work the controls on your bicycle. So Finding the perfect glove can be a little difficult, um, but once you do, you know, it's great. One thing I saw some folks doing was using a rubber or latex glove, um, one that you might use to like keep grease off of your hands in the shop under your normal gloves as a base layer to keep your hands dry, which I've never done before. And I was like, ah, why not?
0: <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, that seems smart. It definitely would cut down on the wind as well. But yeah, I could see it. I could also see it getting kind of sweaty.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think the ideal situation, you know, so we're talking about tips to save money. But like Jeff said, generally, when you hear about people not enjoying winter riding, it's their extremities that are the issue, their feet or their hands. So I would say if you're going to spend some money to get something sort of nice for winter riding, those are the two places you'd really want to do it. My fat biking took a massive Turned for the better when I finally got some like fat bike specific boots and I didn't realize how cold and how wet my feet got had gotten on every ride. And I got some real fat bike boots. I was like, Oh my goodness, this is so much more fun now. So, you know, saving money is great, but those are, I think the two places I'd spend some and getting a nice glove that works well and keep your hands warm. Um, also probably worth the money.
0: Yeah. What I've done, you know, on particularly cold days is just doubled up my gloves. You know, I've got a ton of summer gloves and I don't need a dedicated pair of winter gloves because it's just, I'm not that cold during the winter, but on the times, the few times that I do, I'll double up the gloves if they fit. And, you know, some of the guys I ride with, they'll show up on a winter ride with like bike gloves with a pair of, you know, work gloves over a big pair of leather work gloves and... Um, the reason is because they can fit over it. You know, those gloves are usually those work gloves are usually oversized um, and they'll fit over your regular summer gloves. Uh, it's not ideal, but your hands are warm at least. Um, You know, you're not going to be like winning any races like that, but at least you'll be warm. Okay. What about headwear? Insert statistic about how much heat is lost through the head. I don't have one at hand, but it's a lot from what I understand. So what about headwear? You got any tips for that, Greg? So I'll
1: talk really cold environments right now. So if you're it's really cold out, um, I would say put any low-profile beanie under your standard mountain bike helmet. Just dial out the fit system, loosen the straps, put your warm hat on, and put the, the helmet over the top of it. And for me, like with a standard – I've got a cycling-specific beanie. You don't need one of those. But with like a normal one, I can get down into like the tens or the single digits. Uh, If it gets really cold, you can use your standard ski or snowboard helmet plus goggles for head protection, warmth, and all of it, which is pretty slick. Uh, But I found I generally don't even ride in temperatures cold enough for that to work because generally a ski helmet is really, really warm. So that's more like sub-zero Fahrenheit, we're talking now, temperatures. Um, But if you have that, that's a pretty slick way to go. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. One of the things that I learned about recently, I guess a couple of seasons ago, is the multifunctional tubular headwear, also known as a buff. But buff is a brand name, so we have to call it multifunctional tubular headwear. Anyway, you know, these are basically just like sleeve type things that you can pull over your head and use it as like a neck warmer. Uh, you can pull it up over your face, actually, and you can breathe through them. Most of them are pretty thin, they're thin enough that you can breathe through them. And then you can also use them as headwear. So you can put it over your head. There's like a hundred different ways you can wear one of these. And single tracks actually, we, we have our own, uh, in the single track shop that you can use. Uh, you can buy them for like $12. Um, so they're not very expensive. A lot of people will use a bunch of them. So you get like two or three of them and you use one for your neck, one for your head. You know, you can use them as armbands, all kinds of stuff. So, Invest in one of those and you can you can get a lot of mileage out of it. And again, it's only like 12 bucks. You can buy, buy them even cheaper on Amazon. You know, you can find non-branded ones for like five bucks if you're really, really good. And then the other thing to consider is that most bike helmets, you know, they like to tout how many vents they have in them, which is great for summer riding. But in the winter, those vents become a problem because obviously they're letting cold air in. So... Uh, just think about ways you could cover up those vents on really cold winter rides. Uh, one of the ways, again, is duct tape. You just cover them up so that air isn't getting in there. But, you know, I'm sure our listeners are very creative folks and they can think of other ways as well to plug those holes up. And again, don't feel self-conscious about it. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. We're all out there to have a good time. And so, yeah, don't avoid doing something that's going to keep you warm or safe just because you don't think it's cool. I guess that's my my psa for the day
1: so if we're talking about face warmth uh before we move on the ultimate money saving tip to keep your face warm if you're male is to grow a beard before the winter and it'll cost you zero dollars <laughs> it's awesome and save yeah, you and you'll save on time
0: yeah <laughs> save on razors and shaving cream and stuff too
1: all sorts of fun stuff
0: <laughs> okay so we've covered clothing uh hopefully you know i didn't add it up but I think most people can do those things for approximately $0, maybe $12 if you're going to buy a single tracks multifunctional tubular headwear piece. But beyond that, uh, let's talk about accessories. So one of the biggest challenges with riding in the winter is having hydration and keeping your hydration from freezing. Greg, do you have any tips for insulating your water or your camelback, your water bottles while you're going for a ride?
1: Yeah, my number one tip is I just ditched the camelback for the winter riding and have just opted for water bottles instead uh, so you don't have to worry about the water line freezing. And I have actually some insulated water bottles from Camelback um, which work pretty well. Um, but even if your bottles aren't insulated, it will still take a pretty long time for your bottle to freeze solid versus a really thin a camelback hose. So, you know, that's a great way to go. If you do experience bottles freezing, other things you can do are to add additives to them. Um, like if just adding a sugar to your water, like an electrolyte will, um, make it take a little longer. And I've even talked to people that throw a little vodka in there, um, a little alcohol to lower the freezing temperature of your hydration, but you know, you might be sure be, that's why. Yeah, right. <laughs> you might want to be judicious <laughs> on that point, but other things you can do if you already have a frame bag on your fat bike, like I do, I just toss my bottles in my frame bag. And that provides insulation. Um, I also have like already own a uh, a stem bag for a bottle and it already has insulation built into it. So that works great as well. So I ditch the Camelback altogether personally.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing you can do if if you don't want to completely ditch it is you can route the hose through your jacket. So wear your Camelback under your jacket if you got a big enough jacket um, and that'll keep it warm and, you know, hopefully keep it from freezing as quickly. And then what about, I mean, have you ever tried, you know, starting with like hot water in your bottles or in your Camelback? without help delay the freezing?
1: Maybe. I always find that, you know, the, the hydration bladder itself never freezes. It's always a stupid little thing that you suck through. The one thing I have found that works really well if you are using a, a bladder is to basically blow the water out of your hose as you're riding uh, it takes a little bit of forethought, which is sort of annoying, but it's genius because then there's no water in there. So you just take a sip and then blow the water back in your hydration pack, and now there's nothing to freeze uh, in the little nozzle. So the pr- other problem is, like, if you have your thing hanging out, it's like catching all the air, so it's essentially getting air chilled as well. So it's right. pretty difficult to keep that from freezing if there's water in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. And Camelback does, you know, some of their packs have insulated water lines. Um, you know, little neoprene sleeves you can put on there, but obviously that's going to cost money and hopefully these tips that we've shared work just as well, uh, but don't end up costing you anything. Okay. So another sort of related, uh, winter riding accessory is a light for your bike. So obviously the days are shorter in the winter time. And so that means there's a lot more chances that you're going to be out riding after dark this is one you're going to have to spend some money on. You know, some people, uh someone recently on the forums was asking if, you know, we thought that they could use this like remote control car battery that they had laying around to rig up some kind of light, you know, on the cheap. And, you know, unfortunately, the answer is no. You, If you want to have a good bike light that you can use and, you know, enjoy and not get stuck out in the cold with, um, you're really going to need to buy something that's dedicated and meant for that purpose. The good news is that, you know, these days bike lights are not very expensive, you know, for less than a hundred bucks, you can get a good all in one light uh, that's going to pump out, you know, pretty good brightness and is going to last for a couple hours at least. So you can go that route. The other thing you can do, uh, or the other thing that a lot of people do is they buy inexpensive lights online. So you can find pretty bright, pretty decent battery life lights on Amazon or eBay for you know twenty five dollars or less. Uh, but there are some caveats with that. You know, this is one area where you know you you'll be tempted to cheap out, and you know if you do, that's your decision. That's totally fine. But you know, from our research and the the lights we've tested and people we've talked to, these lights are can be really dangerous. We've seen examples of people who have had their had their entire houses burned down while they were charging one of these inexpensive lights. And then we've seen from the ones we've tested, you know, significant corrosion that happens with these lights. And and again, you're, you're never sure what you're going to get. Some people will use these lights and will have no problems uh, while others, you know, will have serious safety issues. So Definitely consider that, you know, don't just jump on a cheap light if you see it online because you might not get exactly what you think you're paying for. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk about modifying your mountain bike for winter riding. But first, a word from our sponsor.
2: Did you know that cycling reduces the risk of heart disease by 18% while
0: also lowering blood pressure and improving sleep? I did not know that. But did you know that male cyclists live between three and five years longer than males who don't ride bikes?
2: I did not know that.
0: That's fascinating. It's true. Look it up.
2: I will. As soon as we finish here.
0: So why are we talking about this, Jeff? Well, it turns out there's a new life insurance agency called Health IQ that offers savings to active mountain bikers just like us. Sort of like those car insurance companies that offer better rates to safe drivers. That's right. Most life insurance agencies are only going to look at things like your BMI
2: and family history without taking into account your healthy lifestyle. But Health IQ does. This allows them to offer exclusive life insurance rates to people leading active lives. So Jeff, how do you find out if you qualify for a special rate through Health IQ?
0: Well, the first thing is to visit healthiq.com slash enter a little bit of basic information and request a free quote. Health IQ team will then get in touch with you and lead you through the entire process from submitting an application to choosing a policy. That's right.
2: If you're listening to the Single Tracks podcast, chances are you're already leading a pretty healthy lifestyle. So why not save a few bucks that you can put towards that new bike or your next mountain bike vacation?
0: Exactly.
2: Again, go to healthiq.com/singletracks to find out if you qualify for a special rate on your next life insurance policy.
0: All right. So moving on to the bike. A lot of people think that they need a special bike just to go out riding in the snow or in really cold temperatures in the ice. Um, but again, that's not really the case. There are inexpensive things you can do to get out there and ride in the winter that don't involve spending a lot of money. So one of the first things you can do, no matter what kind of bike you have or yeah, what kind of situation you're looking at, one thing you can do is you can take an old set of tires and add studs to them, you know, to grip on ice. If you got icy trails and conditions around where you live and all that takes is, you know, a box of screws and a power drill and you can stud a tire out. Um, it's going to take some experimentation, you know, we're not going to tell you exactly what you need to do to get that done, but you know, obviously (laughs) too, you're probably not going to be running tubeless after that though. Maybe if you do a good job, it's possible, but yeah, you're going to just want to screw the screws through the tire and pump it up with a tube and see how far you get. Have you ever tried that, Greg?
1: I I haven't tried that, but you're making it sound super entertaining right now. So maybe I should.
0: Yeah, I I haven't tried it myself either, but I know it's possible. So send us a picture if you've done it and let us know how it worked out. Another thing that people do is they try to winterize their bikes. So what that means is, you know, most winter conditions are going to involve wet trails to some degree um, or, you know, wet precipitation coming down so you're going to want to add some extra lube to your chain you know keep all the grime and and mud and grit out of it and then another thing people do is they spray down their frames with some kind of lubricant a lot of times just cooking spray right greg is that is that a good idea
1: yeah that can help prevent a buildup of snow on your bike or mud or other things like that Uh, When it comes to lube, you might want to actually change the type of lube you're using. Like if you normally use a dry lube in the summer, you might want a wet lube in the winter. Uh, There are also some lubes that are like low temperature specific, like sub-zero temps. So um, might consider that depending on where you live. Uh, I've also, um, a friend told me to use cooking spray on my SPD cleats and on my clipless pedals to prevent snow and ice buildup. And it works. It actually works pretty well. You have to do it every ride, every other ride to have maximum results, but cooking spray is basically free. So um, it's pretty ingenious if you're sort of uh, addicted to the SPD pedals. So, and then it keeps the ice from clunky up in there and a clunky up around your cleat and makes for a lot more fun. So that's pretty, pretty cheap.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's a great tip. Okay. So we got to talk about fat bikes now and you know that's probably the thing that a lot of people are avoiding they don't want to spend a lot of money to buy a special bike that you know they're probably just going to ride in the winter but what's really interesting is that fat bikes are surprisingly cheap compared especially compared to other types of mountain bikes and the reason that they are is because fat bikes generally don't have front suspension or rear suspension And they're also built to not necessarily minimize weight. So the bikes are heavier, they have no suspension. And so for that reason, you can find a lot of great fat bikes that cost less than a thousand bucks. Greg, have you had experience with inexpensive fat bikes?
1: Yeah, I've owned a, a couple of them myself. My current fat bike isn't very expensive. So if you're a rider and you normally ride like $10,000 like wonder bikes and you want a fat bike to ride through the snow, like maybe you need to check your ego and just be like, well, you know what? I don't need to buy the nicest fat bike. Like you can easily get by on a pretty affordable fat bike. I bought the Scott Big John that I reviewed um, because it was pretty decent price. Like they're original msrp was 1600 but for that price i felt like it offered a pretty good um component and standards package i was like this is a solid bike i can't really ask for much more aside from like lower weight you know from a more expensive break so i bought it and it's it's great also if you get a lot of snow and have a really long winter season uh where you live like let's say you live in the upper midwest or alaska or something and you're serious about fat biking during the winter if you only want to own one bike, buying a fat bike as your one quiver bike is like the most economical way to go because you can ride that all year long, it'll ride just fine on normal mountain bike trails, but you can't ride a normal mountain bike on really snowy trails. So you know, choose the bike that you can ride all year long and you're a winner. So um, that's if you're only limiting yourself to one bicycle, which is a great way to save money. So that's what we're talking
0: about. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, too, because people ask us all the time. They'll say, you know, what's what's the best, you know, bike I can get for under 500 bucks? And, you know, they're they're asking about, you know, a full suspension sort of traditional mountain bike. And the answer to that is you, you can't. You can't get a good bike for under 500 bucks that has full suspension. But if someone asks the same question about fat bikes, you know, there would probably be one or two that we could recommend that we would say, yeah, that that's a decent To buy for 500 bucks, so uh, definitely start shopping around if you thought that fat bikes are too expensive or you know it's a waste of money because it's only a you know one season kind of bike. Yeah, you'd be surprised, they're actually really affordable. Okay, so since a lot of people listening to this podcast uh, may be new to winter mountain biking, I thought it would be good to share a few tips about that. I understand that. Some cross-country ski trails can be good for riding in the winter because they're groomed. Are there any tips you have for doing that?
1: Yeah, when you're heading out, uh, like uh, riding a normal mountain bike, make sure it's legal to ride where you're riding. Uh, Not all trails are open to fat bikes, although in some places the access is really great, others not so much. If you're riding a cross-country ski trail, double check um, and make sure that you're allowed to ride there. If you're riding on a cross country ski trail and it's okay to ride there, the number one tip you think you do not want to do is mess up the uh, classical track. So the classical track is two um, parallel sets of lines that the groomer leaves for classical cross country skiing, which uh, compares to skate skiing. So you don't want to mess up the classical track that will get you booted. That's not cool. Um, So you stay out of that. But also don't ride when you're leaving a rut in the trail. So when the trail gets groomed, basically after grooming, it takes a while for that snow to set up and compact. And that depends on the moisture content in the snow, the temperature of the air, all sorts of things. So if you go out and ride and you're leaving a rut behind you, turn around, don't rut up the trail. Chances are you wait 24 hours and it'll be like bomb proof. So you might just need to wait. This um, same rule of thumb goes for even groomed fat bike specific single track. Like even if fat bikers are grooming it, if you're leaving a rot in the groom, you still need to turn around and wait for it to set up some more. So that's a major thing you don't want to do in that same vein. Don't try to ride a tire narrower than four inches on a groomed trail because again, you're going to be leaving a rot. So you might think your plus tire would work, but it's not going to work. Uh, you gotta have fat bike.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of cases, when we're talking cross-country ski trails, uh, you know, a lot of those are because they're groomed, and you know, people are paying to maintain them and stuff. A lot of them are only open to certain people or certain, you know, members. They're often on private property, um, so again, you need to check and make sure that it's okay to ride your bike there. The other thing to know about is freeze thaw, and this is a condition that hits a lot of places where uh, the trails will freeze overnight when temperatures are low. But then during the day, as the sun comes out um, and, and as temperatures rise a little bit, the trails start to thaw out. And once the trails thaw out, they're typically muddy and really soft. And so you're going to want to stay off the trails at that time. So what this means is you need to plan ahead and you need to understand freeze thaw before you head out. So, you know, if you head out on a trail, In the morning and everything looks good and, you know, trail's nice and frozen and crunchy, you're doing okay. But if you're coming back on that same trail later in the day and it starts thawing, yeah, you could be in a lot of trouble because you're going to be rutting up the trail and making a big mess out of everything. So definitely be aware of freeze thaw, especially if it's um, a time of year where, you know, temperatures are freezing overnight and then higher than freezing during the day. One other misconception that I had about winter riding is that, you know, fat bikes and, you know, bikes with fatter tires or studded tires magically make it easy to ride on snow and ice. Bottom line is you're not going to be able to ride as fast as you can during the year on dry trails. Snow and ice, they're, they're just slippery, right? I mean, is it just me, Greg? Or? Is that true?
1: Yeah, it's it's slippery. It's hard. You have a higher rolling resistance, even on a groomed trail, um, which slows you down. And the other thing to think about when you're riding on snow is how quickly the conditions of the snow can change. So that's what we have to deal with a lot here in Colorado. Is even as you, if let's say you start out on a ride and you're climbing up on a mountain pass, the snow down low maybe is really good, but as you get higher, it could get softer and you could start spinning out. Fat biking is really interesting. Like it can be a heck of a lot of fun, but you can get into a world of hurt pretty quickly. One thing that really stinks is when you have to start pushing your fat bike, and then you end up doing what we call post-holing, which is sinking very deep into the snow and making big holes and leaving those behind you. And you can pretty quickly get into a life or death situation in the mountains in the snow without going very far. So, you know, prepare for that, plan for that, and just—I would just sort of advise caution like it's a heck of a lot of fun but it's like slowly work up and like understand what you're doing and um I mean there's probably about a dozen like big things we could say as like cautions like you even need to consider avalanche danger if you're traveling in the mountains and whether or not you're riding through slide paths or what the abbey conditions are like like there's a whole host of things like you're not likely to trigger an avalanche like on a groomed trail. But you could have an avalanche trigger above you and still bury you, so it's all sorts of things to think of, think about when you're out in the mountains in the winter it's a it's a can be a pretty it can be a deadly place actually I mean there was a story a few years back of a guy who uh, went out for a ride in Los Angeles, which is you know the beach and beautiful, and took a wrong turn. temps dropped, they got an inch of snow overnight, died of hypothermia in the mountains, so just don't let that be you. Sorry you can cut that part of the podcast if you want that could be depressing but you know just be smart out there.
0: No that's that's really good. I mean yeah you're you're absolutely right for winter riding uh you you need I mean you always need to be prepared when you go out for a ride but I would agree with you that you need to be a little bit better prepared when you go out in the winter time and you know we talked about this with layering and you know choosing the right clothing and what can be tough about riding in the winter is you've got the right clothing for you know riding around but then what happens when you get a flat tire and you have to stop and you know all of a sudden you're sweating through your clothes and then you get cold because you stop moving and then all of a sudden yeah you got hyperthermia or you know you go out for a ride and again you get a flat tire or something happens that slows you down and then before you know it it's nighttime you know because the days are shorter so you definitely want to be better prepared When you're going out for a winter ride and think about those things and you know maybe carry a little bit of extra gear in your pack well believe it or not we've been writing about mountain biking for the last 10 years and every winter we share tips and cold weather gear reviews so be sure to follow us on social media and join our email list so you don't miss out you can also search our massive archives to find past winter biking content as well finally be sure to tell a friend about the single tracks podcast and put us on the next time you're carpooling to the trailhead. That'll help us get the word out to even more mountain bikers. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Peace.